podcast i was gonna clap between my words and i realized it would be a bad audio experience so you know the podcast has started that's why i'm pointing dramatically something that only works for you the person in the room with me i'm autumn june is this a gersman thing Where does i don't know i don't know what this energy is like one point is gersman yeah no, this, this point that I'm doing right now... That's that Garugamat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Allison June. I'm using that name more again. I'm, okay. I, I, names are weird, as you well know. Would you like to introduce yourself? You. I'm Simply Nora. Simply Nora, no <laughs> one else. I'm Nora Blake and Zoe Nash Mars, and this is Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> I mimed like I was going to slap Allison, and then I didn't. Autumn's still good. I just had a phase for a couple months where I didn't like the name Allison. I like it again now. I don't know. I also still really like Autumn. It's because you slapped your boss in the face and said, call me Allison, dipshit. (laughs) (laughs) I did not do that. I mean, spiritually. Um... Okay, I am. I don't think I am a. I don't think I really experience plurality, mm-hmm. um, but I do definitely think of, of like Allison as she, her, and Autumn as they, them. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, you can also just have two names. I just have two names. It's just like the thing in my head of like I don't know. That's just how it works in my head that like Allison is more she, her. Autumn is more they, them. Mm -hmm. They're both me. They're both... It's not like... Nora and Zoe are different. Allison Mm -hmm. and Autumn are the same. And I love both of them. Shut up. What? (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant both of the people, but you meant both of the names. (laughs) Yes. Hi. Hi. I love you. I love you too, honey. I'm wiggling. (laughs) You're wiggling. It's Valentine's Day. Valentine's podcast. That's why we were going to podcast today. <laughs> no, we were going to podcast today because this is the only fucking day we have that could potentially support a podcast. Yes. I work eight and a half hours tomorrow and eight and a half hours the next day. And then I work the next two days, but I don't know when yet because I got to look at the schedule. Do you do you work three to seven or two to six today? Three to seven. Okay. I knew... Yesterday was 2 to 6, and today was 3 to 7, or vice versa. And we're definitely going to go out to dinner after 7 p.m. We're definitely going to do it. Yeah, for sure. I could just take you for lunch, I guess, but I want that time for me. Well, no, because I've got to watch Utena so that I can do a pod collection. That's not my podcast, so it's not my problem. Well, I have to watch it at some point. (laughs) I already feel bad because it's 9 in the morning and I haven't watched it yet, even though I know Karevi is almost certainly not up Karevi just went back to bed. Hell yeah. Good for them. Yeah. They deserve it. Stan Karevi. We do. Um. (laughs) 
Okay. Earlier, um, Tuesday, I think. Tuesday, I was 30 minutes late to work because I wrote down the wrong time to mm-hmm. be at work. Um, and one of my friends at work, who was um, the supervisor that was, like, waiting for me those 30 minutes, you know, um, has just been, like, teasing me about it ever since. And, like, yesterday I got to work, like, 10 minutes early. And she's like, oh, my gosh, we love a prompt queen. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. But also I've now had the intrusive thought of we love a prompt queen in my head for, like, 24, 48 uh, hours, something like that. You know who's not a prompt queen? Solid Snake. He's always <laughs> keeping you waiting. <laughs> Is that line first in MGS5? No. Okay. Does he say that line in every game? No. Okay. Also, no. I don't know when it became, like, an iconic thing. Yeah, because... I I think it was the Smash Brothers trailer. Like, his announcement in Brawl. Okay, because I I associated with... um, I associated with... There we go. (laughs) I was going to say... I was gonna say Kyle Southie. Ooh, atheist man with the microphone stand. The footman. Kyle Southie. Jeffrey Reeves. Kyle Southie from 24. Um, from 25. Keeper Southie. The 23. It's just a little bit lesser. Uh, Keeper Southie also voices Raceland Majir in uh, the Dragonlance animated film. Uh, Raceland, one of my favorite characters, because you know I love an edgy fuck. Is this where Draceland came from? No. Okay. Draceland came from Judge Drace, which is one of the characters from Final Fantasy XII. Oh. I did have an OC with a name inspired by Raceland, though, as a teenager. Oh, yeah? Yeah, his name was Raceless. That's alright. Yeah, he did smoke magic. Really cool. <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> no! Not like a vape lord. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> no, he could turn into smoke and could turn other things into dust and things of that nature. So, two days ago at work, um, I handed someone the wrong drink. Um, Damn, the cops are going to get you. So she came back, and I was like, hey, so sorry. Here, take this little $4 gift card. Um, and then she came back the next day, and I was like, hey... Make sure I'm handing you the right drink. We're having a very funny moment talking about mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday I saw her, and we were just chatting. The situation had passed. I was aware of this, but, like, we were just chatting. And her it was 10 degrees, so her window was frozen shut. And she just opened her car door and the next episode starts playing, and she, <laughs> it's fucking incredible. It's fucking incredible to, to hear this, like, pro, mm, I'm gonna say, like, mid-30s white lady mm-hmm. just, like, open her door, and the weed song starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, because it's 10 degrees, she shut her car door because it was like, hey, it's just gonna be two more minutes on your food, we're just running a little slow, um... Uh, so I shut my drive through window because it's 10 degrees. She shuts her car door. And the next time she opens it, it's my heart will go on at, like, <laughs> max volume. <laughs> I don't remember this lady's name. Not that I would say it on the podcast anyway. But I definitely need to get it because she is a fucking icon. <laughs> Sounds like a gene to me. I think a gene. Maybe. Maybe. Um. Also, um... 
Shoutouts to apparently my boss's hairdresser because um they my, just fucked it up. They just no, shaved shaved your boss's head. No, because my boss was getting her hair dyed last week um and she had like her hairdresser had a new employee and her new employee came up and was like, "Oh my gosh, you're the manager at the uh coffee shop I go to." Uh I love Allie so much. She's like my favorite employee. And I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. We need to get our hair dyed at some point, so. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, so there's there's two um, hairdressing people that come to work. One, apparently, is just going to go up to my boss whenever she sees her and be like, I love Allie. Give Allie a promotion. <laughs> Which is great because I have kind of started wanting a promotion. Mm-hmm. And the other is really nice and has said like the other lady is really nice and cool and she has told me that um if i come like have her cut my hair she will give me a free margarita which i'm like all right sure um and then last week i i i couldn't help myself i got really involved because she lives like up the street from our coffee shop and like when I say up the street, I mean literally up a hill, like right above our coffee shop. You park sometimes. Yeah, where I park sometimes. Um, which I didn't realize I was parking in front of her place, but whatever. Anyway, um, so she's in the drive through line at our coffee shop, and um, I really don't want to say the words coffee shop, but I keep, I think I keep doing that. Anyway, I don't know you work at coffee shops. I know, I just don't want to like, I really don't want to like, I want to keep that on the DL. I want to keep, like, the specifics on the DL. So I might just, like, bleep it out every time we say... Coffee shops. (laughs) No, you just edit it and just censor it with Bloomberg. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so she's in the drive-thru line at our coffee shop. um, And her her man is standing out at at the top of the hill... um, and screaming down at her, like, screaming, like, I didn't cheat on you! And she's like, I'm trying to order! Shut the fuck up! Wow. (laughs) like, she's in the drive-thru line, and, like, so... (laughs) We were all getting really wrapped up in this, so someone at work had the great idea, you know, I think I really need to to go sweep the parking lot suddenly. (laughs) And so he went outside to... You know, sweep up all the trash in the parking lot, mostly just to listen to this conversation between as he's like wow. screaming down at her, and she's like, "No, I saw your phone. I saw her in your contact. I saw her texting you at 3 a.m." <laughs> the streets are wild. I know they are loose. Amazing. Somebody set the streets loose upon the world. Um, that's what was in Pandora's box. <laughs> so yeah you play any video games lately uh bloodborne um bloodborne okay i need to reckon with something in my soul when was this when when did i come out 2017 i came out in 2017 probably the summer of then Probably this summer of 2016, I put, like, 150 hours into Dark Souls 1. Um, Beat it once, got, like, three-quarters of the way through, like, two, maybe three more times. Like, 
Um, never did any New Game Plus. Why are you laughing at me? I think you beat it more than once. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to mark this in the podcast real quick and just type, I think you beat it more than once, so that I have an episode title. <laughs> Um, so yeah, probably the summer of 2016, played a lot of Dark Souls 1, ever since Dark Souls 1 has been, like, for me, like, my two or three favorite games ever are Wind Waker, Dark Souls 1, and Spelunky. Like, those are maybe, like, my three favorite games ever. They're my default answers. Spelunky's faded a little bit because I haven't played it in a while. Um, but I'm playing Bloodborne right now. Would you like to know mine? Yeah. Like, what's your default answer for your favorite video game ever? Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger? Yeah. Anything else that's like, ooh, maybe on the right day, it could be Chrono Trigger. No. But okay. second and third, maybe. What What are your second and third, then? Maybe Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow, but I haven't played that in a while. Um... I don't know. Nothing compares to Chrono Trigger is the thing. That's fair. That's fair. Like, I have a lot of fondness for a lot of specific things. Like, Crisis Core. Yeah. Kingdom Hearts, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But no one Kingdom Hearts game is good enough to be in my top three, even though Kingdom Hearts as a whole is something that I've... I have a lot of very strong feelings Yeah, like, for. Kingdom Hearts a franchise, as a franchise, <clears throat> easily better than Spelunky, at least. Maybe maybe not, like, in the same headspace for me as Wind Waker and Dark Souls, but easily, like, kicks the shit out of Spelunky. Well, Kingdom Hearts doesn't have any associations in my mind with Patrick Klepek, so it does automatically <laughs> launch out Spelunky, which is starring Patrick Klepek. <laughs> um... People think of people think of Patrick Klepek sometimes as like the Spelunky guy, but like in my heart, I know the truth. I know Chris Remo is the Spelunky guy. Oh, I mean that Patrick Klepek looks like the Spelunky guy. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, I also think Chris Remo looks like the Spelunky guy. To be fair, um, no, the actual the actual curse thing is that, and I have. At least one of the thought that I want to circle back to besides Bloodborne. But the, the actual curse thing for me is that I've been playing Spelunky since before... Like, I've been playing Spelunky since it was a pixel art game. Um, the remaster is better. It's still pixels, bro. Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean. <laughs> I really um, don't, but... There's, a, there's an older version of Spelunky, and then there's a n- new one with, like, hand-drawn graphics. Okay. Anyway... There's an older version of Spelunky that was made in Game Maker, and then there's a newer one that's, like, in something better than Game Maker, I assume. Unity? Maybe Unity. Anyway, anyway. Um, and the reason I have been playing Spelunky since, like... I've been playing Spelunky on and off since, like, 2009, I think, like, since the game came out, is because fucking Anthony Birch gave it a good recommendation, which is some cursed knowledge. Like, this is before Anthony wrote fucking... Um, Borderlands 2 and then got canceled for reasons I'm unsure on, but I'm sure are pretty fucking valid. Um, like, Anthony Birch is, like, a bad association to have with a thing, as far as I can tell. Um, 
Anyway. Anyway. But yeah. Anthony Birch has been mostly replaced in my head with Chris Remo. Wholesome and beautiful. I want him to come back from the war. He's a ghost. <laughs> Chris Remo fucking got bought by Valve and died. <laughs> Fought bravely against Andrew Force and then died. But I want to have a conversation on Dark Souls, but before I do... I'm still trying to think of games that I like. And there are lots of games that I really liked, but I wouldn't call them, like, my second or third favorite game ever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, Final Fantasy twelve, Final Fantasy one, Final Fantasy two, <laughs> Final Fantasy III. <laughs> Four is pretty good. Um, Never finished five. You mentioning Dawn of Sorrow, like, awoke something in me. A couple weeks ago, I started playing, um... I started playing Ace Attorney. I did two cases. That game's really fun. I... At least one of our... At least one of our friends knows how to get, like, DS games working on the 3DS. And I'm just putting this out into... And I don't just mean, like, buying a cartridge of Dawn of Sorrow. Friend who knows... Knows the way of these things... We should hang out on Sunday, and, like, I should just, like, actually listen to you You're as going you to get to... seven replies. I know, I know. There's one friend who I want to hang out on voice chat with and have them actually, like, walk me through how to make this happen. Okay. Um, and that so friend if you knows... Don't, if you don't get tapped... That, that friend up. knows who that they are because they started to do this with me a few weeks ago, and I got really anxious and so, yeah. and also wasn't a very good listener at mm -hmm, that time. Mm -hmm. I'm telling that friend we should hang out on Sunday, maybe, and if you want, and you should walk me through how to get video games less than legally on my 3ds. Jk. Jk. Ha <laughs> ha. Ha ha. Parody. Unless. Unless. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly. <laughs> um, there are other friends who know how to do that, but the last time I put out a general call for help with this, I got eight different replies that had different information. It made me very anxious, and so I shriveled up into my little, into my little hoodie, and I was like, oh, I will just never pirate video games. I will simply be a good girl. You've never been a good girl once in your life. <laughs> Weird I, podcast. I don't vibes. think any of the Souls games are my favorite game, but I know which Souls game is my favorite Souls game. Okay, which is your favorite Souls game? Code Vein. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I really want to play Code Vein. Yeah, um, you should. I should. <clears throat> Maybe I'll do that because I, I think once I finish Bloodborne, which I'm in probably the last stretch uh, of Bloodborne. Um, once I finish Bloodborne, I might do Code Vein next. I was thinking probably Dark Souls 2, because Dark Souls 2 is a game I have started probably ten times. If I ever played Dark Souls 2 again, I would want to play the original. Yeah. I kind of want to play the I original. I don't like Scholar of the First Sin. I the thing is, the thing is, that the original is on Steam for more money than it should be, I think. Even on sale, it's still like $20 for all the DLC for the original. And I don't mean I want to play day one, Dark Souls 2. Yeah. And just walk through the game with lightning that was overpowered because it does ten times more damage than it's supposed to. <laughs> Faith was out of control. Um, 
It it so often is. <laughs> <laughs> I love season three of Buffy. <laughs> I don't it's, know what that means. It, Em's gonna love that joke. Cool. <laughs> um, I could give you a, a Souls ranking. List. Okay, give me a Souls ranking list. Code Vein, Bloodborne, and Dark Souls Two. It's like a tier list. Okay. S tier is Code, Code Vein. A tier is Bloodborne and Dark Souls Two. No, three. Dark Souls Three. Okay. Yes, three. Dark Souls Three no, is the one that mm, I have. S tier. S tier is Code Vein and Demon Souls. I was going backwards in my head. Okay. Demon Souls at the top with Code Vein. Second tier down, uh, Bloodborne, Dark Souls Three. Third tier down, Dark Souls One. Fourth tier down, Sekiro. Fifth tier down, um, Lords of the Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, you really don't like Dark Souls Two. Oh, Dark Souls 2, right. Uh, yeah, I just don't... That's that's also at the bottom. Like, I just don't like Dark Souls 2. It feels weird to move. It's bad. Um, it's just... There's some fundamental difference in the, like, feel of the game. Outside of anything else, just moving around. I don't like it. Demons is the ideal. Mm-hmm. Like, even edging out Code Fame. You never put Dark Souls 1 on this list, either. I did. Did you? Yeah. You put it, like... Below Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. Okay. Um, Just because I've played it a million times and I don't ever want to touch it again. See, that's kind of... Also, Jesse, if you're listening, you fucking stole my Dark Souls 1 disc for PS3, and I want it back. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening, because you're an asshole. <laughs> my co-worker from Toys R Us. <laughs> like six years ago? No. Six years ago? Yeah, something like that. Seven years ago. Um, I let him borrow it, and then he never fucking gave it back. I've got this fucking metal case from the 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 collector's edition Dark Souls, like when it first came out. I was there opening it. I've been playing these games since two thousand ten, I guess. Whenever Demons came out, Demons I, came out in Japan in two thousand nine, yes. but I don't remember when it came out in America. I think it came out early ten in America. The reason. The reason this actually gets confused on my head is because in twenty in two thousand nine, I was hanging out on a forum uh, talking about video games. Sometimes this translated later in my teens into talking about <clears throat> films on a forum. But in two thousand nine, I was talking about um, video games, and I was friends with a lot of people in Europe. And Europe got Demon Souls really late. Like I don't think Europe got Demon Souls until like, six months before Dark Souls came out or something, like, and so I knew a lot of people who were big fans of Atlas, I knew a lot of people who were big Persona fans and big fans of Atlas, and so they really wanted to get their hands on Demon's Souls and were, and were importing it from Japan and, like, cracking their PS3's region-locking shit so that they could, or buying... I knew one guy who bought a Japanese PS3 because he's like, oh, well, I want to play a handful of Japanese games anyway. It's just that Demon's Souls is the one that pushed me over the edge. <laughs> anyway, so for a long time, Dark Souls has been at the top for me because of that really magical summer I had with it. Um, and then it has a little bit fallen because I've played it so much and... What I've really done is I've played the first half of it so much. I've got I've beaten Ornstein and Smo so much, and then I've gotten to the back half of the game, which is like bad. 
I would say. Bad. I get to Ann Orlando and I'm like, mm. Yeah. Because, like, the back half of the game has too many gimmicks, I think. You've got Tomb of the Giants, which is a dumb <sighs> gimmick. Fuck that. Why would you ever... It just it just locks you out of content because, like, why would you ever not play the game in the specific path to get the Sunlight Maggot? Right. Why would you ever not do that? It just sucks. The game yeah. is bad if you don't do that route. Like, I could hold a torch. I think... Tor- lantern? The you lantern. Get, you get There's a no lantern, which torch. is fucking terrible. It the doesn't lant- illuminate shit. And you need to have it held out, which I think interferes with your stamina. Like yes. a shield. Yes. But it's not a shield. Yes. Fuck that, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ceaseless Discharge, which is fine, but the whole like lava ring situation in that game, I don't like it. Um, the water rings. I don't like having to get a, put a ring on to walk in water yeah, or, to, or yeah. to do the lava. Like it doesn't even block the lava damage. It just makes it smaller. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about that area is when you beat ceaseless discharge and you walk down, and then there's like you see in the distance like six capra demons, and you're like. Holy fuck. And then you, like, beat them because they're fucking chumps. And you're like, I'm God. <laughs> it's more like, oh, they, they they hit the control V a couple times in this one, huh? They yeah. Bloop, 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 bloop. Yeah, they really did. Um, but um, And then you turn a little bit to the right and you're like, oh, also a bunch of Taurus demons. Yeah. It sucks. It's just a really big room with some... Like early game bosses, yeah. As enemies, it's like you don't. It even just having to fight two of them at once would be something. Yeah. But also, like having a, in a room maybe would be fun. Yeah. Um. But whatever. Do they respawn? I think they respawn. Um. Bed of Chaos is a dumb gimmick. I don't like fighting Bed of Chaos. Um, it should be bigger. It should be the whole level. Should I don't be leading up to that. It should be like, oh, you got to the like, you have to explore the level and do other things in the level in order to get to like the inside of it. So like, if you go into the boss room and you haven't done X Y Z, you can't. I don't like the Nito fight because the Nito fight means if you stand if you stand really close to the entrance, it's a really easy fight. But if you move at all. It becomes a really hard fight because he's got all his little minions. I don't know about that, but I was just thinking about Latria, the second Latria boss fight in Demons, uh-huh. where if you don't, this is... yeah, this is a second. No, is it the second one? The second Latria. I don't fight. know anything about Demon Souls. It's the lady. I think it might be the first Latria fight in the chapel. Where, like, there's the guy on a little fucking, little fucking organ, little crank organ, whatever they're called. Mm-hmm. There's a funny, there's a there's a goofy name for him. Um, and if you fight the boss without having killed that guy, he will just revive the boss. Oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah. No, um, well, I mean, no, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, also, I've never played the DLC... Because it just did not work 
for me on... I used to have a laptop that would just, like... That was just fucked, and, like... It would just... Every time I tried to load in the DLC, the game would crash. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the Knights of the Abyss fight is, like, maybe the most Demon's Souls-y thing in that game, because if you're not paying very close attention to a bunch of, like, a bunch of other stuff that you might not notice, you're probably going to walk into that fight and immediately fall down a, a big, dark abyss hole. <laughs> oh, the Four Kings? The Four Kings. Not I the was, Knights of the Abyss. I was like, do you mean the Wolf Blood Farron Knights from 3? Because that, that fight's great. Yeah, no. They start fighting each other. It's, it's fucking cool as hell. I, I don't know anything about that. Um, yeah, I mean the Four Kings. The Four Kings fight sucks because, like, if you're not paying it, if you're... if The puzzle is a little too much, I think. Plus, being... Because the thing is, the thing is that um, if you're like me, you kill Lortec as early as you can. Um, Lautrec? Lautrec. Okay. You kill Lautrec as early as you can, and you equip that ring. Yes. And then... Of course you do. Yes. And you never take you it off. You never take it off, which means you have one ring slot. Yes. Which then means that if you want to fight the four kings, you don't have ring slots. Like, you don't. It sucks to just... It's any boss fight where I have to equip a different ring, any fight, because sometimes you want to walk through water to fight, like, just some random guy and you equip the rust and iron ring. Anytime that you don't have ring slots sucks. And this is the thing that I really like about Dark Souls 2 is that you get four ring slots. It's really nice. This is the thing I like about Bloodborne is that you don't have any ring slots. Fuck oh, you. No, you have runes. Runes are just rings. I guess I think so. about it. But all the, also, the, I like the runes in Bloodborne a lot because there are situations where I want to equip the Moon Rune and just, like, get a shit ton of Blood Echoes. There are other times where I want to equip just, like... There are... I like the runes because there are situations where I want different runes. A, a lot of the runes... I have enough... I have three slots, so it feels like I've got a lot going on. I have to... I have to think about what situations I'm going into... Before I leave the hunter's dream, that's nice because I can't change the runes mm-hmm. once I leave the dream, which is like okay, I've got to like think about what I'm gonna do on this run. Um, I li- I like the runes a lot, um, not quite as much as I like having four rings in Dark Souls Two, but here's my take. Yeah, motherfucker has ten fingers. <laughs> motherfucker does. You should have be able to fingers. equip eleven rings. <laughs> Rusted iron conquering. <laughs> <laughs> conquering of favor and protection. There you go. Is that what's yeah, better? yeah, yeah. Bluestone conquering. Ooh. Um, Is that the one that, as you get hurt, you get more powerful? Yes, but it, the way you say it doesn't sound as good as what it actually is, which is when you're... Um, when you're below 25% health, you get a buff to defense. That sucks. Yeah. It's not... It doesn't scale as you get less health, so you can kind of, like... Because right. the thing that would be cool is, like, oh, I'm going to try it, say, at, like, 
75, because that gives me a little buff, but I'm not in danger, you know. I would simply make a ring, if I were designing a game, that said, you have just percentage... You, you, you talk. You talk. I remember while something. Over there. You talk. You get percentage damage reduction equal to the percentage of missing health that you have. Exactly. That would be really cool. Exactly. The no. Here's but I would the do that for the offensive one too. Here's the thing I don't like about. Um, here's the thing I don't like about rings in Dark Souls One, which is that you get Lautrix ring as early as you can, and. Um, you are pro backstabber, elite gamer. You don't equip armor. Um, you get that you, hornet ring. A hornet ring for the backstabs. I don't know what that is. You, there's a ring that's one of the one of the like Lord Soul rings. Uh, one of Gwyn's four whatever rings okay. that does it's better backstabs and reposts. That's kind of cool. I've never used that because what I'm talking about is you take all your armor off, you become pro-elite gamer backstabber, uh, and you um, kill Havel at, like, soul level 6 or whatever, and you put on um, Havel's ring, and then you don't take either of those off for the mm-hmm. rest of the game, mm-hmm. except when you have to go fight the four kings, and then you get, f- then you get like, fucking fat rolls while you're fighting four kings. So not only, like... Not only are you losing one of your ring slots, but you're also having to play the game a different way to fight this one boss. And so it's way harder than it should be. What if the game was designed around being able to completely change your character to fight one boss? That would be cool. That sounds great. Yeah. I switched to a caster build in Code Vein for the final boss because it was shaped in such a way that my weapon wasn't reliably hitting it. Yeah, no, there was actually... Um, in Bloodborne, I've been rolling with, um, mostly the Blade's Mercy, but I've kept the Rifle Spear on me for a handful of occasions, and it was, it's been really cool, because the Blades of Mercy do most of the things I want them to do, but sometimes you fight Amygdala, and the Blades of Mercy just don't, like, reach good, and so you, like, run it three times, you get really close to killing Amygdala, and then you realize, oh... If I switched to the rifle spear in two-hand mode where I swing it like an axe, mm-hmm. um, that will hit Amygdala more reliably yeah. than um, my Blades of Mercy will, and you finally, like, get it. Like, overcoming that entirely was a great part of Code Vein, and so was, like, I'm just not doing enough damage. I'm going to switch to Big Fuck Off Hammer mm-hmm. and fight this... Fire this like, I think it was like a guy. It was a knight with a hammer with like a jet engine on the back end of the of the hammer, and I just couldn't deal, and so I just became the same character as the boss, <laughs> <laughs> and then I won. Yeah. Like the Ornstein Smoke fight in Code Vein is so much cooler than Ornstein and Smoke. Mm-hmm. Of course, they do one. Yeah. That's good. There's there's a big guy this, and a sexy lady with big titty. Okay, this is the thing that has most made me want to start playing Code Vein. <laughs> of all the things you've ever said about Code Vein, hearing that there's an Ornstein and Smoe fight, it's like, oh, I gotta play that game. Oh, yeah. It's a big guy. I think he also has a hammer. And then there's a tall lady with a sword. And it's fire and ice themed. Could, okay. Can I... I'm gonna say something, and I know the thing I'm about to say is problematic. I lived in a dorm 
with a bunch of men. And one of the ways that I, like, enjoyed hanging out with the men was, like, getting them all to really like Dark Souls instead of Call of Duty. They all got really into Dark Souls, partly because I was I had beaten the game. I was able to be their guide through Dark Souls. I knew I had all the game knowledge. Me and one other guy had a lot of game knowledge, and so we would debate, you know, and, and we were kind of teaching all the guys how to play Dark Souls. So we got to Ornstein and Smo with one of the guys we were coaching, and the other guy who had played the game before and knew everything always referred to them as teen pregnancy and shotgun wedding. <laughs> and I cannot think of Ornstein and Smo without thinking of that. I was wrong. And it's terrible. Big guy has... It's the cannoneer and the blade bearer. Okay. Um, and because Code Vein is like... All like weird... Like body horror technology stuff. They look like this, and it's fucking cool as hell. Oh, I love them. <laughs> you love her. She's kind of cool. Okay, she the thing... She's got those titty. No, no, no. Show me her again. Show me her again. The thing that's great about her is not the big titty, but the, like, eyes. The visor. Those eyes are good. Yeah. Those eyes are kind of sexy. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, she is... Frustrating. She's she's got an ice sword, he's got a big cannon. It's a it's a big thing. I, it was the hardest boss fight in the game, I think. Mm -hmm. But it was never too frustrating because of what you can do. And like the agency in that game of your build of your strategy can be like everything in that game. It just means that those fights are much less frustrating because you can just keep going. You're not gonna lose anything. If you lose your souls, you can go to base and go to the hot springs and get half of them back and erase that blood stain. Okay. You can you can forego the danger and take half of what you lost anytime. Okay. And since you can switch up your build at any point, it's like sure, you might not have unlocked very many abilities to use with this build, but you know, it doesn't take that long to to cuz once you like each each set of abilities has has moves you can do. And it has a little mastery gauge, and once you've gotten the XP for that gauge, you can equip that skill no matter what uh, class you're using, mm. as long as your stats allow for it. Um, and the stats are all letters instead of numbers. So, Code Vein's great. A, a thing I like about Bloodborne 2 is that it kind of is moving in the direction of this, because I can equip... I have Bloodborne 2. I have Blades of Mercy and Rifle Spear, uh, but because of the nature of trick weapons, which is different from how weapons in Dark, Soul, in Dark, in Dark Souls works, means I actually kind of have four weapons equipped all the time, and also I don't have to worry about, oh, wow, the Kirkhammer, which I, I've never used because uh, I don't really like the moveset, but I'm going to use the Kirkhammer as the example here because it's the most similar to the Zweihander. I don't have to worry about running a, like, 40 endurance build just to use the Kirk Hammer because I want fast rolls while I use the Kirk Hammer. I like, I like the removal of, like, weight considerations entirely. And I also enjoy weight considerations in Dark Souls. I really enjoy, like... But... Like... 
I enjoy weight considerations in Dark Souls, but, like, because I only like using fast rolls, it means that, like, an, an entire way of playing the game is kind of sectioned off from me, because I simply hate slow rolls, so I will never use the Zweihander. <laughs> the Zweihander is actually not that heavy. Um, but, um, what if you had to account for weight of the items you were just having in your inventory, not even equipped. Like Dark Souls 2? Like Demon Souls. Oh, Dark right. Souls 2 doesn't have this. Oh, yeah. Demons had load burden. Right, I remember where this. Where if you wanted to pick up an item in the world, you would have to fucking drop shit if you, were, if you weren't visiting Stockpile Thomas, which you should be visiting Stockpile Thomas. It's a very nice man. Yeah. God, Demon Souls is great. I fucking love that game. I It's a shame it's broken now. I hope they um I hope they do a remake of it or a remaster at least. Yeah. Um and I hope that in doing so they don't like I hope they don't iron things out. I hope they leave that game rough around the edges. They never patched out the the item dupe in that game. Maybe they should patch out the item dupe if they remake oh, the game. Then I won't be able to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> What did you do? Just item dupe like some like hero soul? No, or... I item duped the final boss's soul for two hundred thousand apiece. <laughs> I'm not a child. <laughs> soul level two hundred seventy-five. <laughs> Come on, ninety-nine uh, I, vitality. <laughs> I do remember seeing. Um, I do remember watching a video where someone had like gotten up to, like, max level and, like, watching a video just where they, like, one-shot Priscilla in Dark Souls. <laughs> like, God. they they just, like, grinded so much in Dark Souls. Ground? They ground? ground? They, That's weird. Anyway, they leveled <laughs> up so much in Dark Souls uh, that they went to fight Priscilla and one-shot her, and it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> One-shotting bosses in Dark Souls should be the goal of that game, not staying at, like, soul level 120 and having, like, the perfect build for PvP. I love to very slowly whittle down a boss by scraping my fingernail between their <laughs> ass cheeks a million times <laughs> until they die. <laughs> that's how you... That's how soul level 1 playthroughs go, I assume. You just <laughs> gently scrape your fingernail between their ass cheeks until they die. <laughs> Um, I guess you actually use the Drake sword for whatever. Whatever. Fuck um. the Drake sword. <laughs> that sword has questionable behavior in its past. Um. Because it's the Drake sword. In its present, Drake is still dating minors, as far as I can tell. Oh. Or not. It's. Wants to. This is, this is my recollection. I don't believe Drake has dated minors... That we are aware of. Mm -hmm. But Drake is, in his mid-30s, dating 19-year-olds. Yes. And also being, like, the richest, most successful pop star on the planet right now, dating, you know, 19-year-old yeah. girls who are just trying to make it in the industry. Mm -hmm. You know. Every industry has a DiCaprio. As far as I know, he's not doing crimes... He's just... Doing crimes. Doing crimes. Yeah. They're not like crimes, but crimes. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. 
that new Drake Future single is pretty good. Life is good is pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like. I was listening to that in the car yesterday and marked the fuck out for the line. Um, <laughs> haven't done my taxes. I'm too turned up. I thought that was a great line. It's <laughs> me. It's me. The problem with Drake is that every time I think he has a great line, Drake also thinks he has a great line. <laughs> uh, we. We need to do my taxes soon. We do. <laughs> we need to do... Thank you. I love you so much. <laughs> uh, because of the Kickstarter... Because of the Kickstarter, I'm extremely tempted to investigate how much it costs to have someone else do your taxes. Because I think That's I fair. could... I think I could do them, but... I don't know. I don't know. Well, but also, it might be prohibitively expensive. So, who knows? I don't know how much taxes cost. Um, we're probably going to have on a payment plan for them anyway. So, um, I have a job now. Yeah, that helps. Well, that helps. Um, anyway. Uh, oh, but I never got to my I never got to my big point, which was just that because Bloodborne is like so <clears throat> fresh and exciting to me, and because I've played so much Dark Souls that I kind of never want to play it again. I'm in a place now where I might like Bloodborne better than Dark Souls, which is, like, a big thing for me. And also, and also, you know, I, I tweeted this on Locked, and Karevi replied, Dark Souls, or, or, or Bloodborne is a better game because it rewards forward action better, which, like, I get... I understand people who like Bloodborne or like Dark Souls better for gameplay reasons. We've been talking about gameplay reasons for, like, 30 minutes now. The thing is that, like, I might like Bloodborne better just because, like, I fucking love Wuthering Heights. I fucking love it. I fucking love, um, Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I fucking love Guillermo del Toro movies. Gothic. Yes. Shit. And and uh, people talk about the story in that game being really about periods or something. I don't get it. I have not paid attention to a lot of... I have not paid attention to much of the story in Bloodborne. And I don't remember much of the story in Dark Souls. I remember Dark Souls 2 having a really interesting story, I felt like. I, the, the story I really remember is Dark Souls 2 having a really good story. Um... I don't... So I don't have any story reasons for preferring Dark Souls... Or Bloodborne over Dark Souls. It's just like... The world of Bloodborne... Is really appealing to me. And I remember... I remember... Um, listening to... Giant Bomb Goatee Talks... When Bloodborne was coming out... Or when Bloodborne came out... And them saying... Oh, well... Maybe it was Austin saying this... I don't like the aesthetic of Bloodborne as much as Dark Souls because Bloodborne is kind of, like, always gothic, is always cosmic horror. Whereas, like, you know, I know Austin's a big fan of Dark Souls 2 specifically. Mm -hmm. You go one way from Majula and you get to Forest, you go other way, and you get in Orlando for some fucking reason, and you go down one way, and you get Poison Area, and then you ride an elevator from the docks 
and you're suddenly in a castle. There's a castle above the docks. Like I know. But then if you go up from there, you find a volcano. Right. And why is there a volcano above the castle? What the fuck? Like, like, I know that's a thing that Austin really likes um, about Dark Souls Two. The like weird disparity of space. Some might say that that would make an excellent seed of an idea for a tabletop role-playing game. Ooh. Like sort of a dreamscape dungeon crawl. Yes. Interesting. Ethernor.itch.io slash Delver. Yes. Um, that is definitely appealing to me, and I understand that why that appeals to Austin. But I think I actually like the uniformity of aesthetic. I think I actually really like the way that Bloodborne is the thing that it is to the absolute most. I find myself walking through an area in Bloodborne and just, like, staring at, like, environmental things that I don't usually stare at. I like how Yosefka's Clinic looks just like the lecture building. Mm-hmm. Um, looks just like... It is, but I remember that pitch being more interesting to me, um, generally... Dark Souls 3 is the one I know the least about. I've played 20 minutes of Dark Souls 3. That's Of the th- the three numbered Dark Souls, that's my favorite. Mm. I think that Demons has an interesting... It has like a very cheap twist, like a, a gimmick that you can read into. I kind of remember... Which, I don't remember much about Demon's Souls. You tell me about Demon's Souls. The great old one is the enemy of the game. It's from yeah. the minute one. It's like, oh, you have to wake the old one so that you can kill it, basically, or you have to set, put it back to sleep. Anyway, um, it seems to imply, I believe, at certain places that the miracles and like the uh, monotheistic god of that world that gives miracles is maybe also the old one. And oh. it's like a very, it's a very like, we've, we, I'm sure you can think of other yeah. games where that is like implied, but it's like, even like, the priests in Dark Souls have a sinister vibe because of the actions they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. the fucking t- pet, Peter of Thoroland or whatever. Yeah, 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 that yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. But like the, I feel like the religious figures and demons have like just a sinister aura, even when they aren't doing anything. Like even outside of their actual like behavior, there's just like a vibe there. Maybe it's um, you know, you have your your nun lady in a swamp surrounded by uh, checks notes fetus zombies, <laughs> and they're all just guarding her. Um, there's a... Also, Yurt, is it cooler than Lautrec? I have not ever finished Demon's Souls. I think I've gotten... I've probably beaten, like, three or four bosses in Demon's Souls. Like, I haven't really, like, made progress in Demon's Souls, but... There is a unity in my head between Demon's Souls and Bloodborne, and it it is partially, like, a material reality of the world that those are the two that are exclusive to Sony consoles, Mm -hmm. because Sony literally, like paid for both of those games to be made as far as I can, uh, from my recollection. Or, I think Sony paid for exclusivity on Demon Souls, and Sony paid for Bloodborne to get made. I think is... I have no idea. Anyway, but, it, like, there's a cosmic horror to these two games that is not really there in Dark Souls, because Dark Souls is more about 
history and kings and and yeah. the cyclical nature of things. Um, like Demon Souls is also about a cycle, but also you can break it if you want. Mm-hmm. Like you can kill. Uh, there's like a choice at the end where like you can let the maiden in black, who's the best level up character in any of these games. She's got wax over her eyes. Oh yeah, her. Yeah. She's great. Um, everyone loves her because she's barefoot. Mm-hmm. Gamers. Yeah, that's another. That's my new at the barefoot gamer. That's another like random little like unity between Demon Souls and Bloodborne in my head is that like you go talk to a person to level you up, whereas um, Dark Souls you level up the bonfire. I mean, in Dark Souls one you level up the bonfire. Oh yeah. At two oh. you have the Emerald Herald, and at three you have. The lady at Firelink, whose name I don't remember. In two, I do really like um, the Emerald Herald. Um, but I think the reason that I really like the Emerald Herald is because she says cryptic things and she's in Majula. Majula is... Walking into Majula the first time is genuinely one of the most striking moments I've ever had playing a video game. What Like, walking out of that cave, into the sun, hearing, like... The song from Majula is my favorite song from any video game ever. Like, Majula is, like, a really good place that exists. I think the one in three is just called the Firekeeper. Yeah. Um, but... Isn't three a cowardly game where you can't kill? Not all these games... Demon's Souls is the only one where you can kill the... You can't kill the Maiden in Black. Okay. She's immortal. Okay. You can't beat the Dredge. They're pure energy. (laughs) Does... Does anyone else have that line from Titan AE stuck in their head? I have to know. You can't beat the Dredge. They're pure energy. Whatever. Um, anyway, you can... I don't think you can get locked out of leveling up in any of these games. Maybe maybe two, but I don't know. Bearer Seek, Seek Lest mm-hmm. is what is the cryptic things that the Emerald Herald always says to me because I'm mashing through the... Um, I had a uh, a character in an RPG called the Ruby Herald that was inspired in name by Emerald Herald. Okay. Because it's just a cool name. We're at the hour mark. I have have to to poop really, really bad. Okay. Um, I'm going to do that. Okay. And then I'm going to come back and discuss podcasting. Nora, my love, the person most dear to my heart in the entire world, my soon-to-be wife, my fiancé, we have been talking about Dark Souls for like 45 minutes That's right, and now it's time to talk about Neo 2, coming soon (laughs) from Bandai Namco. I don't know, Bandai Namco, is that who makes Neo? Bamco? Nandai Bamco? Neo... Developed by Team Ninja, published by Sony Interactive Entertainment, and Koei Tecmo. Bamco does Dark Souls, I think. Huh. And it's only published by Koei Tecmo. That's right, that's right, that's right. Anyway. Anyway, I have 
up to F tier now, looking at Souls games. Okay. F tier is The Surge. That's great. I love is you. Is Lords of the Fallen better than The Surge? I have not played either. I love you so much. I need you to look at me in the eye and yes. be present in the conversation yes. we're having for just a moment here. What would you like to talk about? I'm, I need to do this. Okay, I, I understand. Yes. Would you like to just resume podcasting after you finish? I am podcasting right now as I'm typing this tweet. But you're doing a... I am not doing a bad job, actually. I think you'll find that I'm very good at podcasting, and I can do it even when I'm typing a tweet, because I've tweeted on the podcast before. I'm just going to let you finish. Go ahead. Okay. I think we should talk about anything except Dark Souls or end the podcast. What time is it? Um, it was at an hour mark when I went upstairs. What time is it? It's 10 a.m. We have time. We have time? Do you want to pause the recording, go watch the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, and come back? No! <laughs> oh. We were going to do that for Valentine's, is watch the Sonic movie. Maybe Sunday. Sunday I work 12.30 to 9. <laughs> we will watch the Sonic movie and podcast about it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Anyway. No one wants to listen to that. <laughs> what else have you been doing? Um, oh, I wanted to briefly shout this out. Um, uh, a couple days ago... Um, okay. On the book, his name is Daniel Mallory Ortberg. That has been his professional name for a while. Uh as far as I can tell, between, like, when the book was, like, finished and when it was published, he got married and changed his name to Daniel Lavery. Um, so, I, anyway, uh, I just started his most recent book, um, Something That May Shock and Discredit You, and I was not expecting to like it as much as I am. I'm about halfway through, and it's really fucking good, is the thing. Because... It is being marketed as a collection of essays um, about, like, transition and pop culture and all sorts of things. And books that are collections of essays are really hit and miss for me. I remember really trying to force myself to like David Sedaris at one point, which was a mistake. Um, but also, uh, I think Hanif Abdurraqib's um, They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us is one of the best books that's ever been written by a person. Um, uh, so, I was really hesitant about this book, and I'm about halfway through, and it is like... I think it is probably being marketed as a collection of essays, but it is not... It is moving back and forth between, like, essay and like poetry in like a really like deeply moving way it is uh, daniel's descriptions of transition like are like really resonate deeply within me and like just like i don't know it is very rare 
Um, I often complain about a lot. I often complain about a lot of like media for trans people because I very rarely see myself in the experiences of. Uh, do you mean? media for trans people or do you mean trans media that is actually secretly for cis people because i've only ever had the latter outside of music the only like legit like trans experience through art that i have gotten to my knowledge outside of like lamb will swallow the lion i said that real good and smart yeah the lamb will swallow the lion uh, like, primarily the only trans art that I have engaged with that has resonated with me personally has been music. Um, I don't know why that's such a big one for me, because I don't mm. listen to music much other than that. I mean, I have started to now, but I have not read many books on transness or relating to transness that are for a trans audience, and, you know. But the, yeah, I just, I very rarely see myself in a lot of trans media um and this this book is really like hitting me like this is only the second time you've mentioned feeling this way what's the other time i think i know in my head but the uh the the ya book yeah yeah yeah. the and there's an interesting connection in my head that i'm making here which is that um like um the other book that I've mentioned, um, uh, The Black Tides of Heaven, it, it took me, because the second book in the series is called The Red Threads of Fortune, mm-hmm. um, and I get the, I always want to call it The Red Tides of Heaven, or like The mm-hmm. Black Tides of Fortune, or, you know. Um, but The Black Tides of Heaven by J.Y. Young, um, which is like a, I don't think it's YA, but it's kind of YA-ish. Anyway, it, it's... It's not marketed as YA, but it's kind of a YA fantasy. I thought that my Kindle or whatever said it was YA. Okay. Um, Anyway. Yeah, like, that book really just, like... Like, yes, this is exactly how I felt when I was, like, approaching transition. Um, I, like... I don't know, there's, like, an interesting thread there because they are the character that is really resonating with me in um, Black Tides of Heaven is a trans mask character and Daniel uh, is a trans mask person. And it's interesting that like the two places I have like really seen myself have been in like trans mask stuff, which is just like a really interesting thing. I think, I think partly because I think partly because there is like a very small disconnect um, because, like, like, um, I guess, like, if I'm reading the experiences of a trans woman, maybe I'm like, well, I experience femininity differently, um, and, and so I'd def- be, like, over-the-top critical of... You've also just been very alienated by online trans femme yes. culture, yes. broadly, I, um, as as I have as well. I am also, like, um... Also, gender is much more than just these two camps. And yes, gender is much more than these things. Um, the 
Like, the idea that you would only be able to see yourself in trans-femme stuff is, like, uh-huh. oh, would be ridiculous. Yes. Like, on to- yes. even if you weren't, like, non-binary. Even yes. if you were a very binary trans person, the idea that you would never see yourself in transition broadly would be ridiculous. I think the dog's about to come down The dog's about shit. to come down here to shit. Yeah. Um. um. Or eat. Or eat something. <laughs> anyway, um. Those are basically the same thing in reverse. <laughs> Oh, here she comes. Hello, dog. You're on the podcast. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Podcast dog. Um. Now get. <laughs> anyway, um. No, it's definitely like. Um. Like. <laughs> you're fine. Um, the stairs are so much louder than the phone call was. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm going to mark this in the audio. Maybe I'll edit it out. Maybe I won't because it wasn't actually that big of a distraction. Anyway. I'm out of soda. You're out of soda. Damn. Yeah, I know. Rip. Do you want to go get more soda? No. Okay. I will simply need to pee. <laughs> I will finish this thought I'm having. J.Y. Young the writer of um, Black Tides of Heaven is like a non-binary person writing about a trans mass character. Um, I don't know if um, Daniel is a non... like considers himself binary or non-binary in any way. Like that's not a thing he's addressed in the book really at all. Uh, also, I'm only halfway through. Um, but I am a person who like... I don't think I identify as a trans woman. I think as I, I identify as, like, a trans, feminine, non-binary person. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a vague direction of femininity in my transition, but the reason I transition at all... I think a bug flew into the space heater. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I transition at all is because, uh, like, being masculine in any way feels like... a a prison, but also being feminine often feels like just a different prison I'm putting myself into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, like, I really don't consider myself a woman a lot of the time. I am very much a non-binary person, and I often feel deeply, deeply alienated by, like, trans-feminine, trans-woman, like, Twitter culture which is so binary, is so, like, femme, is so, like... It puts, puts a gun to your head, eat the pickle! <laughs> yeah, fucking, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, we all love eating pickles, we all love estradiol, ah, and I'm like, I've had a lot of disappointing experiences with estradiol, partly because I'm a disabled person, and my disability interacts with my ability to transition in a way that, like, simply does not happen for all trans women, because not all trans women have Crohn's disease. I have a very unique experience with transition that is influenced by having Crohn's disease. Like, uh, there is a a uniformity to, like, trans woman culture on Twitter, which I'm putting air quotes around, that really does not apply to me and is deeply alienating a lot of time. Because it's not, like, a thing you can absolutely concretely define or, like, draw lines through. It's just 
It, but it is like a present force. Yes. Um, and it's specifically like very binary trans lesbian spaces for me. Yes, I extremely another another thing another really big thing for me that I talk about a lot is that I am a trans feminine person dating a getting married to a trans woman. I have had. Yeah, you're like putting air quotes around trans woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, Less so than you generally do if you ever yeah. offhandedly refer to yourself as such, but Yeah. Um I'm the normal gender haver. Yes, you just have an incredibly <laughs> normal gender. I have an incredibly normal gender. A lot of people call me a lesbian. It is a thing I hate a lot. I am not a lesbian. Mm. I am simply not a lesbian. I am not a woman who loves women and one thing that I've had a problem with is, like, former partners trying to call me a lesbian. Just my repeated desires not to be a lesbian. Um, hello again, podcast dog. I love you so much, podcast dog. You're so cold now. What a cold little podcast dog. It's like dog. six degrees outside. It's six degrees, and the podcast dog just wants to be nice to the, next to the space heater. <laughs> and just Anna's sp- playing charades here. Anna's I don't know. playing charades. Just actually speak, please. Sorry, Grandma called me right Oh, okay. I don't care. Going back up the stairs was louder than the phone call. Yeah, well. I love you. Um, Yeah, I'm not a lesbian. Um, And, like, lots of people... I have been described on Twitter a lot as a lesbian, and it's a really alienating thing for me. I like uh, what Josie of uh, Duniversity described as cultural lesbianism. I'm not currently practicing <laughs> lesbianism, um, but if I am with a lesbian, I am a lesbian. Like it is a very flux- fluctuation-based label guess, for me. I guess for me, it, I'm the reverse. Where like I am woman adjacent, and really I'm only interested in women. Despite my, um, I do get crushes on boys, but I'm really only interested in women. So like. Functionally, a lesbian, but culturally, absolutely the fuck not. <laughs> I am a practicing lesbian, but culturally, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if I'm with someone who considers themselves to be a lesbian, then I consider myself to be a lesbian in that context, but outside of that context, I don't really feel like it always applies. Uh, but I also am both bi and pan in different ways, mm-hmm. and that means something to me, but I don't know what. Yes, Normal uh, I have like se- I have like eight labels. Yes, like it's fine. It's chill. Uh, woman is iffy. Like Zoe's definitely a woman, but in a different way. It's kind of like it's kind of like if woman was spicy. Mm-hmm. Jalapeno is a different spicy than like a mouthful of ginger root. Like maybe that's not really what I mean. No, but I even like you. a jalapeno and a habanero. That's a very different kind of spicy. And that's how gender feels to me. Uh-huh. Like, gender, no, is, I get it. gender is, like, a flavor, but not, like, a flavor. It's, like, a taste. Yes. But there are different flavors that give that taste. And, like, I don't know. Like, everyone else says girl is jalapeno for as a broad example. Uh-huh. Like, a lot of people think of girl as jalapeno, but my spicy is more like a habanero. It's, like, different. Yes. But it is the same genre the same milieu the same oeuvre <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you're making any sense to anyone but me 
I absolutely know what you're talking about. I don't know if anyone else on the entire planet will. <laughs> but anyway, I just really want to recommend, once again, something that may shock and discredit you by... Um, look it up under Daniel Mallory Orberg, but yeah, he has changed his name to Daniel Lavery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, it is just, like, deeply and profoundly resonating with me. Like, I started it yesterday, read about half of it because it's a pretty short book, um, and I'm literally telling myself, no, I cannot read it again today because if I start reading it, I will finish it and I must instead watch Ujna and do a podcalypse and go to fancy wife Valentine's dinner. It's not that fancy, I don't think, but, you know. Whatever. Um, also, not a lesbian, not a woman, um, am a wife. I want to be yes. very clear. Yes. My gender is wife. And girlfriend. <laughs> and girlfriend. This is why I've always felt more at home with the word girl than the word woman. Yeah, same. Which, sometimes I hear other people say that, and I think what they're talking about is um, wanting to infantilize themselves or, like, reclaim... Sometimes I hear other people say that, and they're just trying to always relive their teenage years, but as a girl, that's not me. (laughs) It's okay if you feel like you didn't get teen years to be, what, X gender... Yeah. Insert gender here, but, like, sometimes that can come off in a very uncomfortable way yeah, to some, see. Sometimes, I often I often feel sad about the, and this is a thing that just Daniel describes, um, like, I often feel like, oh, I wish I had been able to live my teen years as a girl, as a trans person. Like, I wish I had known about that then. I wish I had been out about that then. Sometimes on Twitter, I see people mourn that by um, trying to act like a teenager in their 20s and 30s, and it's a little mm-hmm. uncomfortable to it is. on the internet. It overlaps with some very uncomfortable behavior Yes, from, from older, especially from older people. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing I was going to say is that even if I had been born with a different body, I would still be a transgender. Yes. Yes. I would still be a transgender. This is like, like for, for, like, I, honestly, Honora mm-hmm. kind of some trans mask vibes. Yeah, this is like, um, uh, I've got, pronouns are like deeply central to my gender expression. I know that's not the case for everybody, but that is like the case for me. When I first started to bump up against gender, I, was using my old name and in and started to use they them pronouns on the internet um and then i moved on to changing my name and starting to use she her pronouns exclusively and at that time using they them pronouns was to deny myself uh transition in some way like Oh no! I can be comfortable in masculinity as long as I can be just a little transgressive, just a little transgression in my pronouns, and then I will just—I will. Masculinity will fit me fine if I just use they/them pronouns, mm-hmm. and it was a way of denying myself femininity. Um, and then, so when I started to use she/her, I was like, "Ah, yes, this fits so much better. Um, I don't need they/them pronouns anymore." Um, they, them pronouns were inhibiting me. Uh, and, like, that was a thing that I felt for some time. And now I have circled back to they, them pronouns 
Um, for, but it does not, it no longer feels like I'm inhibiting myself. I'm not allowing myself to express myself fully through they, them pronouns. What it is is, no, I am expressing my true self through they, them pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, I used they, them for maybe a week and I was like, nope, wrong. Yeah. Bad, bad for me, actually. Uh, and it still makes me feel bad if I get called they, them. Like, I get it. It's a the neutral form of address. It's fine to do. Uh, it does make me dysphoric in a weird way to be called they, them, which is mm-hmm. why I made my own pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like, I would simply be called Z, then mm-hmm. they. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, like, at one time I attached they, them to dysphoria to trying to inhibit it myself, and now I have, like, found a new way to express myself that, like... Mm-hmm they them makes me feel like euphoric like it is a different way of like contextualizing that in my head yeah um, um because femininity is just a different prison for me for me mm-hmm. uh, i know that that is not you know I mean, a universal trans feminine experience for me femininity is just a different prison to be and, in and also like femininity i've described it being different like i've thought a lot about how people binary trans women especially talk about changing their behaviors changing their speech pattern changing not their voice but like the way they speak yes. like the language they use and then talking about passing and talking about like changing a lot of their like behaviors and stuff and i never did that mm-hmm. i never stopped being the person that i am really like i've changed my voice you can go back and listen to my old podcast and i sound differently Part of that is learning how to make a good podcast, and part of that is starting to flex my my voice in a certain direction and start to push my voice in a certain direction that I can't maintain very well, but it sounds different now than it used to. So I used to sound more like this, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I wanted to be Mike Staklasa from Red Letter Media. <laughs> because... As a teenager, I wanted to be Dan Harmon. I wanted to be Jeff Gerstmann. That's I know that those three like together form a weird like vibe of what I thought I needed. I had to be mm-hmm. pre-transition, and uh, I never changed any of my behavior. I mean, I've changed my behaviors because I've grown and learned as a person, mm-hmm. not out of gender reasons. Like I, I didn't stop liking the things that i liked i didn't start watching sailor moon Uh you know i didn't convert Mm -hmm. all of my interests in that way i yeah i don't care about that kind of stuff and sometimes sometimes i hear people say that they started watching sailor moon because they were trans and it is like oh i'm trans so i must like the girl show for girls. Mm-hmm. I must know. pretend. Uh, never mind. Yeah, no, I think it is genuinely felt that people want to watch like the girly thing. For me, sure. it is. I transitioned and started watching Sailor Moon because, as a kid, I had watched four episodes of Sailor Moon and been called like slurs for it, um, and spent like the next two decades like telling myself. I'm not allowed to watch Sailor Moon because I'm not a girl. I mean, yes, I have felt that er, that pressure of watching a show 
or something as a kid and feeling like I wasn't supposed to because of gender, but it would be pretending for me to say that I wanted to reclaim that now at 26 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, now I'm going to watch Card Captor Sakura, like, for realsies and own it, and, like, mm -hmm. I can be this person. It's like, that would be a pretense because I don't actually care about that show. Yeah. Like, it doesn't represent anything to me. It doesn't, like, hold any special value. It's just a show that I watched, and then at some point I realized, oh, that's a girl show, so mm -hmm. I stopped watching it, even though I think it probably slaps. Probably. I mean, it might also be the G Gundam of Magical Girls. Who can say? Who can say? If you oh. know what the G Gundam of, Ma of Magical Girls is that isn't pedo shit, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw that image. Yeah, that, that the big is a fucking really good flowchart. Of... Should I make that the podcast? No. <laughs> there's a really. God. If you Google what Magical Girl show should I watch, there's a Reddit thread that has a big image, like, a big image that's, like, ah, that, that, like, it's a, a gigantic flowchart of, like... Why do um, you want to watch a magical girl? Yes. Are you a pedophile? Take this route. Yeah, no, it literally starts with, are you a pedophile? Here are the magical girl shows you should watch. Do you... No, actually what it is, actually what it is, is I watched Madoka, what shows should I watch next? And the first choice on the flowchart is I watched Monica for the pedo shit and I watched Monica for the themes. For the tragedy. <laughs> for Not the, for the themes. Yeah, for the Nobody tragedy. knows what the fucking the, themes of Monica are. I, I watched Monica because it was sad. Yes. <laughs> it sucks. Anime is a mistake. Maybe anime is fine. Maybe our perception of anime is what's a sin. No, anime. Anime might also be a sin. <laughs> Is anime a pure thing that is, like, <laughs> spoiled by human perception, or is it also just inherently, like, tainted with sin? Mm -hmm. These are the questions we must ask ourselves. If Kashan doesn't do it, who will? Gender was a mistake. <laughs> gender was a mistake. The Dark Souls of gender is gender. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get into a coffin and come out looking different. Yeah, no, this was another thing. Oh, also, being fat... Yeah. Has completely altered my perception of gender as well. If I were thin, my gender expression and gender experience would be radically different. Yes. That's not a thing anyone fucking talks about. Uh-huh. Because um. everyone wants to look like Ada Rook from Black Dresses. Everyone on Twitter wants to... Either that or it's Alan B. Beardsley. I want to look like Alan B. Beardsley, yeah. if I'm being honest with you. If I'm being like, if I'm just keeping it 100, I want to look like. Because the thing I tweeted on Locked last night was, um, and this is like, we were having a conversation about like my non binariness and stuff. But like, also, if I could, I would like, I would take just like a week's worth of anesthetic and I would have someone do like facial feminization surgery and like voice like feminization surgery and like give me huge tits and an ass sure and give me a pussy like i would just like get all the surgeries at one time and laser hair removal and i would just like spend a year in recovery and then just emerge from my gender too <laughs> just like <laughs> to shame mankind <laughs> i would just like i would just like just fuck up my whole shit. Just, just like, put me. Just knock, me. Knock me out and put me in the shop for a month. Yeah. Like honestly, give me cyber teeth too. I need new teeth. Yeah. 
This is why this is why I identify with four and her cyber new typeness because she just like <laughs> But honestly just like fucking brainwash her until she's a new type and like yeah, do that to me. Just me just expose me to tragedy. <laughs> Done. Uh but also my experience is complicated from wanting three different bodies at once. So mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I want to be the five foot eight black-haired girl i want to be the six foot three white-haired like very androgynous mask person i want to be me but there mm. like plurality has inter has entered the has penetrated the dome <laughs> uh gender it's weird and problematic and not problematic in the mimetic sense it's literally just a, a tricky thing to untangle and talk about. And yes. uh, none of the shit that I have said today applies to anyone but me, unless yes. you decide it does. Yes, same, same. I'm only talking <laughs> like, about my experiences of gender. This should be unstated. This should never need to be stated. But that's not the world that we live in. And people yes. are constantly, I feel, applying their own gender exper- experiences to other people. And I... Yes. I want to make it clear. My experience with being non-binary is very different from people, who, other people who experience being non-binary. Like I have described it as the difference between "powered by the apocalypse" and the acronym PBTA as like a trademark. Mm. As like I'm not binary, but I'm not non-binary. The brand of identity yes. that says things like "ladies and gentle thems" on Twitter. Yeah, you know? yeah extremely <laughs> that. That shit, like, oh, or like I love to infantilize myself. <laughs> Um, or the, you brushed up against this, um, and didn't actually say it, but the using they, them as a bridge or like using yes. non-binary identity yes. as a gateway to a more binary sense of embodiment, there, like that also sucks. There are some people who think like, there are some people who think of like starting to use they, them pronouns as like. This is, like, problematic in the mimetic sense. Egg mode. Ah. Like, ah, yes. They're they're using they, them for a year or two, but they'll realize their, their true, like, transgender binary feelings. And, like, no. I, like, I did that, and then I circled back to a new understanding of, like, non-binariness. Like, yeah. I did that, and then, like, when I truly feel, like... And I don't understand myself. That's why I'm in therapy. When I, when I have like an understanding myself that I feel somewhat comfortable. When I have an understanding uh, and a sense of self, it is they them pronouns. Yeah. You know. Also, you pay somebody to understand you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, yeah, use whatever words you want to use to describe yourself, but. I, I am opposed to calling anyone else uh, a fucking egg. Yeah. I just think it's a little bit presumptuous, and uh, you, it's probably none of your business. I refer to myself in egg mode because it is an easy shorthand to describe it's... the first 21 years of my life before starting to realize there was gender happening inside me. Now, if you want to make a joke about how Jean Arc's armor is eggshell white... You know, 
Yeah. Good joke. But uh, referring to any other human as Eggmode is just like... Especially a person you don't know. Yes. Or a, a creator that you don't know. Yes. I've seen that. Before. Yeah, I have seen that a lot. <laughs> of like, oh, this, yeah, whatever. Anyway. Yes. Um, Un- unnecessary to, to specify. To like name names. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess this comes down to like fucking be chill. Fucking be chill for once on the fucking internet, y'all. Yeah. Uh, this isn't even, like, calling anyone out. It's just, like, this pressure. Yeah, that, and... Like, they, that talking about gender sometimes, like, presses on other people. Yes. And that's why I wanted to, like, specify, I can only talk about myself. I can't well, talk also... about anyone else's gender. I can't make declarations about what is or is not X or Y gender, or, like, what is trans culture. Like... You know. Well, also, I remember being, like, 21 years old and, like, spending three or four months using they, them pronouns on the internet and, like, really trying to, looking at other trans people, looking at other non-binary people and be like, oh, that must be me. They're talking about this. That must be me, too. Mm -hmm. Like. Gender. And, like, I can very easily imagine, like, you know, younger trans folks not fully realized trans folks, not fully realized non-binary folks listening to this podcast and thinking, oh, what Nora and Autumn are experiencing, I must also be experiencing that too. You might not be. You might have a... You might see yourself in us. You might not. We are having our own very unique experiences with gender. Um, and <laughs> we have... The thing is, we've been talking about this stuff off mic and on locked accounts for months now. And apparently, mm-hmm. me reading this book just like bubbled over into us having this conversation on microphone. It's fine. We. It's good that you mentioned that because I know that we do have like listeners who are younger, and I yes. never want to. I want I, to be a uh, a good, uh, not a role model, but like a good example of a human being at twenty six years old. Yes, and a lot of people act very irresponsibly around right. teens, around yes. young twenties, yes. like. A lot of fucking people are are, are just fucking it up. Yes. And I don't want to be that. Yes. And I, like, you know, I'm turning 24 in a week. But there's also, like, I feel like there are, like, two different ages that I have that, like, I'm turning yes. 24 in a week. We haven't talked about this. Yes. But it's true. But I'm turning 24 in a week. But I have been, like, I have been aware of myself as a trans person since 2017 which in some ways makes me, like, in in some way makes me a little older than someone who's just starting to transition, like... Who is, like, 28. In, in 2020. Yes. You know? Even if, even if they are older than me, like, I am older than them in transness, and so, like, there's, like, a difference in experience that is, like, impossible to talk about sometimes. Yes. The age difference of of transition timeline is real. Like, yes. the person who's been out for eight years and the person who's been out for two or three, yes. that is a tangible difference in maturity sometimes, mm-hmm. although it doesn't have to be, yeah. but also just, like, a perception of of what embodiment can be, what selfhood can be, what a gender can be. Like, there is a radical difference in there that isn't really talked about at all. Yes, and, like, I have been trans for 
like two and a half years, right? Which, and I'm 20, I'm almost 24 years old. I'm really young, you know, in a lot of senses, I'm really young. And also because I've been trans for two and a half years, I am like older than like a lot of people I'm friends with in that way. Yes. Like to someone who, because I know when I was out for a week, it felt like someone who'd been trans for two years, like, oh my God, that's an entire lifetime. It's like, like, and so I would try to imprint myself on that person and try to like take their experiences and fit them onto myself. And that's how Mm -hmm. I got into this weird thing where I think femininity is just a new prison. Like trying to take other people's experiences of transness and fit it onto myself, like was harmful and was also like, like sometimes I just had to make mistakes and be hurt and be harmed because it like, but I, I don't, I don't want that to be true of other people. Right. Like, but also some of that was, like, predatory behavior from people who had been out for, like, six years. Yes. Like, the fact that two people of similar ages, who one has been out for three times as long as the other, that is a difference in power. That mm-hmm. is a difference in, like, ability to reckon with yourself. Yeah. And that is, like, something to be aware of. Yes. Absolutely. And, like... Yes. That's not something that anyone is going to warn you about or yes. talk about ever. Yes. Like, so I guess like if you are a like younger person like listening to this who's like recently out or like whatever, like I just want to express we are talking about us, the things that we have gone through, the sense of self that we have, and I'm not talking about like you and I have different senses of self because this very episode started with. I have two names and I'm not plural. You have three names because you're plural. <laughs> you know, like you and I have different. I ex- guess I have four names because I've started calling myself a, the Finn system as a whole at times. Right. Right. Because like, Finn is my middle name. Yeah. Like. You know, <sighs> and that's names or whatever. We are talking about things that we have been through. Yes. So if, if you see like something you, if you hear something in this podcast that you're like, Oh, I really relate to that. I'm glad. Take that in. Think on that. Like, you know, like, maybe this is useful to you. Maybe none of what we're saying is useful to you. Maybe you're like, what the fuck are you talking about with peppers? Yeah. What is this shit? Like, maybe, like, none of this applies to you at all. That is, like, perfect and good and beautiful, too. Like. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, especially I don't want anyone to, like, feel pressured into applying these yeah. these feelings to their own experiences. What I, just... what I extremely don't want is for like someone I don't want someone to listen to this and they are like a trans woman who uses she her pronouns exclusively, thinks of themselves in this binary way, and then hears all this and like oh, the right way to me must be to be more non-binary and starts to use they then pronouns. Like I right. don't want someone to like listen to this and think being binary in some way is bad and that I am bad for using she, her pronouns. It's just a measure of empathy. Yeah. It's like the reason that those things feel bad for us is because people with less empathy are putting those archetypes and those frameworks against pushing those on other people. Yeah. Not because they have them. Yes. And also like something uh, I've been talking about, like my experiences with like, the like other trans people influencing this 
it also must be stated that, like, for a long time, I was extremely comfortable with um, just she, her pronouns. And another big thing that's influenced this is working a coffee shop job where I'm talking to hundreds of people every day. And if I talk to 200 people every day, I guarantee you that 199 of them are cis, probably. Like, I have very few, like, trans or non-binary customers that you know of. That I know of. Yes. Um, like, there are there are a handful of folks. Most... But, like, so a big thing that has shaped, like, uh, this for me is also, like, being very aware of going to work and, like, being acutely aware every single day of my gender presentation. I put on lipstick. That helps. But, you know... If I work 8.30 to 5, by 5 o'clock, my lipstick is starting to wear off, maybe. Maybe I've been chewing my lips and it's starting to look bad. Like, um... But all this to say is that there are factors beyond your own sense of identity that contribute to what gender is, because what a thing is is not just its theory, but also its practice and how it's perceived by others and how it's perceived by you. Like, gender is a very intricate and complex thing to talk about. The thing I just want to stress is that, like, We've been talking about experiences with other trans people yes. shaping our perception of ourselves. This is also very much forced in the fires of, like, my interaction with, like, the cis world. And, like, I go into work, like, really trying to present as, like, the most not... The, the most binary, like, woman. Mm-hmm. Because that is the thing I'm shooting for. Because if I do anything else, I will be called sir, which is the most dysphoric thing that I can yeah, experience. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, really trying... Like, the thing that she also shapes this is, like, forcing myself to be as feminine as possible at work every day, like, really makes me acutely feel how it is just a different box to be put in, and what I really want is to not be in any box at all. Right. You know? And maybe some people... Maybe some people don't feel like femininity is a box. Maybe they're like, oh no, I feel so incredibly free in femininity. Maybe some people are like, um, no, I want to be in the femininity box. I want to be in that box. That box looks attractive to me. I don't know what like a binary trans woman's experience of gender is because I'm not a binary trans woman. <laughs> yeah, and then that box can mean internal, external, uh-huh. social. Like, there's lots of versions of femininity. Yes. There's the femininity as seen by cis people, which is probably, like, a certain style of dress, a certain amount of makeup. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a femininity as seen by trans people, as seen by, like, cis queer people. Like, there are lots of lenses to view what is the vague cloud of femininity. Can I talk about something, like, weird? No. Um. <laughs> On this Dark Souls gender podcast, no, you cannot. The Katy Perry song, Teenage Dream, is, like, one of the most, like, genderphoric songs for me, ever. That is not an intended experience that the artist had, I'm sure. But, like, the very first line of that song, uh, you think I'm pretty without any makeup on? I'm just mm-hmm. like, yes. And <laughs> what, when I hear that line, what it means to me is not, like, it, I'm a cis woman, you think I'm pretty when I'm not trying as hard. What it means to me is, I am, like, 
a, a trans feminine non-binary person and Nora sees me and like just sees me for who I am not f- when I'm like presenting gender to mm-hmm. the world you know that's what that means to me it mm-hmm. teenage dream is like a really good song <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me feel nice yeah the... sometimes sometimes you see your most non-binary self in um teenage dream which people should just go look up the album cover for teenage dream and like think there's nothing non-binary about this this is the most cis thing in the world and some people (laughs) see themselves in lyrics to black dresses songs um i forgot the little thing came off on my polaroid hoodie anyway i'm wearing my polaroid hoodie which is the gayest thing because you love ocean waves yeah because i love i fucking (laughs) love ocean waves my favorite movie um gender huh gender have we said anything this uh, is like the most controversial podcast we've ever done because we did an hour on dark souls and then another 45 minutes on gender <laughs> like and we took like 10 minutes of that to like qualify everything we said which is yeah. fine i think that stuff was all important to say yeah um we haven't really dug into something that we want to be clear and not misrepresented on ever on this show yeah uh even when we were like baby anarchists talking about Legend of Korra. We didn't qualify our stuff as much as we did in this episode, but that's fine. Yeah. I think, you know, I think sometimes you can just say things out loud that you intend or believe, and mm. that's good to do. Given the way that, like, we've been having this conversation in private for months, mm-hmm. and it's just finally just bubbled up into have, having this conversation on the mic, I look forward to, in three weeks, when we record the, like, what does anarchism mean to us podcast, <laughs> because that's another conversation we've been having in private, and, like, sometimes, like, pokes into the podcast, but we've and never sometimes. really untangled all these feelings. Because I'd have to read theory. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read, suddenly. <sighs> I know what I believe, and I just don't know what other people believe, what other accepted belief structures that fits into, because we can only define our... Uh, political opinions by comparing them to other people who are dead. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't really know how to describe X, X belief because I don't know how it relates to other beliefs and I don't know what dead philosophers coined or like popularized words for certain beliefs so I don't really know where my This is part of the reason And also every fucking quiz that would do this sucks. This is part of the reason that um, my cops the Lamb Will Slaughter the Lion mm-hmm. hit so hard for me was because I was in the middle of starting to read some theory, um, which I am not nearly as well read on theory as I would like to be, but I, I poked my head into reading, like, Marxist theory and, like, anarchist theory, um, and reading The Lamb Will Slaughter the Lion and having, like, these thoughts about gender and anarchism expressed through um, fiction mm-hmm. was just, like... Ah, yes, I don't have to bend over backwards. I don't have to f- shape myself into a whole new person to think about anarchism because I have always, through my whole life, been a person who thinks about things through fiction, mm-hmm. not through reading non... Like, I don't read nonfiction generally. Um, I know I've spent this whole book talking about reading a this collection of essays. This you whole podcast this whole talking about reading a collection <laughs> of essays. Like... The reason that the Lamb will slaughter the lion is because it was a way to think about my ideals through fiction. And this is the reason that Gundam has resonated so deeply. Mm-hmm. I would love a Lamb will slaughter the lion that starts earlier and has the whole story 
told. Yeah. Like, that story starts in the aftermath of a person taking, like, exerting authority and, like, using force to take over an anarchist uh, community mm-hmm. and being, like, dealt with by their immortal dear god that judges whether you are a good person or not. Uh, I would love to have the whole perspective there yeah. of, like, showing the human side of it in a way that wasn't just about Elixir. Yeah. Um, I think it's very interesting. I think that playing with fiction in these spaces is very cool, and I want to read more stuff like that. If anyone knows any, like, anarchist fiction or, like, just fiction that, like, deals with leftist politics in an interesting way. Off the top of my head, I do know... I don't know much about it, but I know that Ursula K. Le Guin's um, The Dispossessed is in some ways a book about anarchism. I haven't read it yet, but I was listening to a podcast, Coffee with Comrades, which I kind of fell off of because I think it's like, I think like, I really want a podcast with that ethos to exist, but I think it's just not a very, like, I don't think the two people making it are good podcasters. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, or... Specifically, I don't think the man making that podcast is a very good podcaster. I think the woman on that podcast is stellar, and I want more of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but Coffee with Comrades um, did a big episode on The Dispossessed, uh, which made me pick up The Dispossessed, both in audiobook and in paperback, and I haven't read either of them yet. <laughs> um, because I instead got swept up into the Earthsea series and Tombs of Achuan being like, Tombs of Atron maybe being the best fantasy book ever written. That's a thing I'm going to say on this podcast. Hmm. It's either Tombs of Atron or... Um, it's either Tombs of Atron, The Hobbit, or Oathbringer. Those are the three best fantasy books, maybe. Interesting. Yeah, that's where I'm at with my life. And I know I read two of those books in the last month, and recently bias is a hell of a thing. <laughs> um, if you're listening to this in the year 2021 or beyond... Uh, Check in with Autumn and see... Yeah, maybe I'll be like, oh, no, 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 The Farthest Shore, which is the thing I'm going to read after I finish something that may shock and discredit you. I'm going to read The Farthest Shore, which is the next Earthseed book on my... Or you'll be like, oh, no, I only read Ready Player One now. It's just every week I just start it <laughs> over. <laughs> Some weeks I, I, I rotate in Armada. Mm. Um, I have three copies of Armada. <laughs> There are three copies of Armada in this room right yes. now, and two copies of Ready Player One. Only two? There might be three. I, I know one of the Armadas is signed. I purchased that one. Oh. I purchased that signed copy of Armada. Oh. And gave it as a gift, to be clear, but I did uh-huh. pay for that with my money. Uh, we have, like, a YA section of a, of a bookstore in our basement. We do. And there's one that I was interested in reading, but I only found that Anna has the second and third in that trilogy, and I could not find the first one anywhere. What was that? It's a superhero one. Superhero one? Mm-hmm. Mm. It uses anarchist as a proper noun to describe a very specific thing in a superhero setting. Uh, big, big, um... Evangelion translation to, like, saying leftist to be terrorist. <laughs> uh, just, like interested in like okay i haven't seen a a, a book that is uh, like a text only thing do superheroes i haven't seen that genre in like a book before in a novel yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I would be interested in that. Uh, but I've been on a really hot streak with books. Um, I read Tombs of Atuan, which is, like, maybe one of my favorite books ever. And then, like, Night Film, which is, like, maybe one of the best mysteries I've ever read. You uh, need to read those Perdane books, because they're very good and very short. Yes. Um... I'm going to read Farthest Shore next, and then probably Perdane. Um, I read, like, this, all three Stormlight books that are out um, in a matter of, I think, like, 33 days, I think, because the final count on that, which is... Um, if you like it when, in a fantasy story, someone says, this is old magic... Yeah, <laughs> if you like that, let me recommend unto you Oathbringer, the third Stormlight archive book, because <laughs> that is mentioned in Wave Kings and Words of Radiance, but, like, they start fucking around with the old magic in Oathbringer in the most just, like... But I'll, I was talking about Perdane. Oh! If, if you want, like, not Tolkien, but, like, a guy of that era, I think. Okay. I think those books were published in the 60s. This but is, if you want somebody who is clearly a, an academic writing fantasy, and they say the words, this magic is old, it predates this kingdom, things like that. Okay. Like, that's the good shit. Okay. If you want uh, like magic that feels fey, okay. or, or otherwise like pre-Christian Europe, okay. old magic, like that's the good shit. Um, I mean, this is part of my attraction to Ursula K. Le Guin, um... <laughs> I think Ursula K. Le Guin's hot. <laughs> this is part of my attraction to her books because she's she is very much like writing shortly after Tolkien. I think um, the first three Earthsea books have the same narrator as the Lord of the Rings audiobooks. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very much of that same. Like she's in at least the Earthsea books, uh, and I think she's probably like. She's a little after when Lord of the Rings was coming out, but, um, like, she's very much inserting herself into, like, mm -hmm. Tolkien, Lewis, yeah. that, I those would, people. I would almost describe the Perdane books as, like, children's books, like, actual children's books, not like the Harry Potter, like, kind of could be called children's books. Uh, it's a weird distinction mm. to make, but, like, actual children's books, but told with the gravity and earnestness of Tolkien writing mm. Lord of the Rings. Like, um, it is just given to you straight up. Yes, it is a book for kids, but it is just, like, straight up delivered yeah. in, like, a way that is earnest and that is, like, not, like, talking down or This is why I want to listen like to, um... This is why I want to listen to the Redwall series, too, because it seems like kids' books that, like, assume the best of kids, you know? It's not even just that. It's just, like, it doesn't... It believes itself, and it's confident in itself, and it's not too cheeky or, yeah. or like, you know? It's, weird... it's just, like, you, you can have, like, anybody of any age can have a story that, like where the themes are present mm -hmm. and they are articulated and the characters are all being serious with each other and there's one character who's a little bit goofy but it's not like yeah a huge a weird a weird thing is 
<clears throat> because the thing you're describing right now is why I want to start reading Redwall. But the reason I haven't is that all the audiobooks of Redwall are full cast productions, um, hmm. which is uh, which the full when you bring a full cast in, you end up having the more like quirkiness, kids stuff. We gotta be entertaining the kids. Um, there's a really good, um, I don't listen to 99% Invisible, but I listened to this episode on M's recommendation. There's a really good, um, episode about audiobooks, um, and the, like, history of audiobooks, and there's something in that episode about, like, when audiobooks started, they were, like, four deaf folks, <laughs> I get this wrong every time. Do you, you want to take I that back? No, right. I'll just I'll just say like I will just live with the mistake I made. Okay. They were four blind folks, um, and they were these like very straightforward readings of novels. Um, and there was a time a few decades ago where they got very popular with. Um, they got very popular with. Um, sighted folks. Um, oh, whatever. Like the language is always dynamic. I don't really know what. Yeah, like they got really popular. Sighted folks um, and started to have like you know full cast productions and sound effects and music and like this was like a deeply unpopular trend with blind people who just wanted to read their fucking book. They didn't want like. They just didn't want all the pomp and circumstance. They just wanted the fucking book. And there's there's also, like, fun anecdotes about, like, people breaking their record players because they were trying to, like, play all their audiobooks at double speed, but on, like, vinyl, which is hilarious and great and perfect. Um, and, and, like, I am a person who can, like... For most of my life, has had twenty twenty vision. I think I'm starting to get a little nearsighted, but you know, like I can, like I really relate to this. There are like full cast productions of The Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, and I gotta, I gotta say, I don't want that shit at all. It also has sound effects. And it's got sound effects, dramatic and music, music yeah. and like it's it's, and not just that. It's dramatized. They like rewrite it so that there's more dialogue and like it's more like it's an adaptation i didn't want that what i wanted was the version that was two like two people sitting down and reading the fucking book to me (laughs) um and like it's just like it is just a really interesting thing that like that is like I don't understand the people who want, like, full-cast productions of books. Um, this was a big selling point on... Um, when I first started listening to audiobooks, a thing I started doing was Googling, um, like, good audiobooks, which does not get you, like, results for good books. It gets you uh, results for books with very elaborate audiobook productions, you know? Mm. Um, which leads you to reading the World War Z audiobook, which is hilarious because it takes World War Z and makes it even more racist. 
somehow they make World War Z even more racist because they get different readers for all the different, like, anecdotes in the book, and all the readers do racist accents. All of them. Um, it's... People should listen to the World War Z audiobook because it's one of the most hilariously racist things ever beyond just the extreme racism of the text. Anyway. We should wrap it up. We're at the two-hour mark, and we're going Before gonna... we wrap it up, I will just put it on the record that Vincent Valentine is my husband, and there's not a drop of irony in that. I just love that man. This is a subtweet. We're at the two-hour and Sephiroth 11... is cool. I like him, and I think that he works very well as a tragic hero. We're at the two-hour... crisis core. <laughs> we're at the two-hour and 11-minute <clears throat> mark. Twelve now. Uh... It's probably going to be an hour and 45-minute podcast because there's, like, five minutes to cut at the beginning of us, like, walking around the house getting ready, and then there's, like, ten minutes of me pooping. <laughs> me me pooping for one minute and then checking Twitter for nine. <laughs> I'm just sitting here tapping this box, waiting for you to come back. <laughs> Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora or at Zoetics, X-O-E-T-I-C-S, and you can find everything I do at norablake.online. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. That's got my pinned tweet with this podcast and and then an aeroplane. I need to redo the pinned tweet so that it has a apocalypse in it. Um, I'm going to be recording apocalypse later today. Um, yeah. When is this one coming out? This apocalypse? No. This export. This export? Yeah. Like, as soon as I can manage. I work a really long day tomorrow, and I need to watch two episodes of Utna. Uh, and then record while you're at work. So I gotta figure it out. Okay. I want to try and edit it today, but I just don't know how feasible that is. Maybe I'll watch one Utna edit <clears throat> podcast, two Utna record. We're gonna record while you're at work, so I got four hours till you go to work. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. But it's all good. Uh, let's go eat. Oh yeah, we bought like a big elaborate. I bought a big elaborate quick trip breakfast, and then immediately started recording instead of eating. I've got some donut holes upstairs. I've got green yogurt. No, I've got green juice and blueberry yogurt. I you meant, want Chick-fil-A. I meant, let's go eat lunch because it's 11 o'clock, I think. I I have a it breakfast upstairs. I, have a breakfast I don't want a breakfast. It's lunchtime, bitch. I like breakfast way more than lunch. I know you do. I'm going to go eat lunch. Okay. Fuck you. I'm going to drink my green juice. Fuck you. Um... And if you're my coworker who threw away my oh green my juice earlier this week, fuck you. You can wait longer than 40 minutes before throwing something out that was left in the fridge. You don't need to clean out the fridge until closing. This is what I'm saying. That was my John Mulaney also, impression. <laughs> also, I mentioned to... I was just telling the story. I was like, oh, I've been mad at so-and-so all week because, they threw, because he threw out my green juice. Um, and someone else was like, Someone else who is generally known as, like, the mean supervisor who's, like, a little harsh on everybody. She was like, what the fuck? Why would he throw out your green juice? Because um, it was and, green, and green is the color of mold. I have known her. Uh-huh. I have known her to throw things out in the fridge, but she always posts a warning in the group chat. She says, hey, I see a LaCroix in the fridge. It's been here since yesterday. I'm throwing it out of clothes if it's still here. Oh, what? 
a lacroix. Croissant. <laughs> Croissant. <laughs> um, I thought for a moment you were making fun of a way a customer at work pronounces croissant. She says it that way every time, and then I realized you wouldn't know her. <laughs> I was doing a Jimmy Neutron joke <laughs> for a person who might not even listen. To, I probably she doesn't even listen to this podcast. I love you. I love you. Keep it flamio, everybody. <laughs> but um, no, I was um, gonna say something else. Okay. I don't remember what it was, but it was something. Oh, I thought you were. I thought for some reason my brain replaced Lacroix with White Claw. <laughs> oh yeah, somebody left a fucking white claw in the in their employee fridge. Yeah, but yeah, no, no. The mean supervisor is like, no, I throw things out of the fridge, but I always give it one day, and then I throw it out at closing, and I post warning in group chat. Yeah, and I'm like, obviously, this guy threw my fucking green juice out after 45 minutes. You drove so home, and then you came back. I I came back because I was like, oh, I left gotta, my green juice. By the way, everyone in St. Louis calls it green juice, apparently. Yeah, no, 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 no. Because I started to tell the story. I was like, oh, I have some naked juice. And someone was like, oh, green juice? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There was another thing. Because we sell a different brand. We sell Devotion green juice at uh. work. Um, and someone got on the speaker box the day after this person threw out my green juice. And was like, hey, do you have the Devotion green juice? And I was like, yes, we do have green juice. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told her we have super fruit greens or green devotion and she's like uh read me the ingredients i just remember it is green juice and so i read her the ingredients on both and she's like super fruit greens I'm like yeah. yeah that's the better one yeah i don't like the devotion brand of green juice as much as the naked brand of green juice green machine yeah green machine green juice i tried the kale naked green juice the other day the kale one is terrible kale blazer which is (laughs) (laughs) it's called kale blazer which is great Uh, (laughs) kale blazer what a white name i know (laughs) they've got what do they got they've got green machine blue machine mighty mango kale blazer um blue machine's pretty good too Mighty Mango's okay. I I never liked Mighty Mango as much as I think sponsored it was sponsored by Naked. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, so many good podcast titles available here. <laughs> I think the reason everybody calls it Green Juice is because Naked is the most popular brand, and no one wants to say they drink Naked. <laughs> I drink I drink Naked. Can I get a cup of Naked? Naked they juice. Sell, they naked, sell... Naked juice is a good... It's a good thing to call it. Naked juice. I, the juice from naked. They sell a half gallon of green juice at the um, supermarket. And I, every time I go to the supermarket, every time I look at it and I'm like, this is a dark path I could take my life down. Of just buying my green juice in half gallons instead of individual bottles. It would be more cost effective. You know who else sells half gallon jugs of green juice? Who? Work. <laughs> your place of employment. My place of employment. It's probably more expensive <clears throat> at your place of employment than the schnooks I go to. Maybe. I don't know. They're very sensitive about people calling them bougie. They're like, well, you have to look at, like, what item are you comparing and what deals are in place at the moment. It's like, sometimes we're cheaper than Walmart. Doesn't always happen, but it happens. And I'm like, 
Okay. This is the same trainer that made suicide jokes in the training session. <laughs> the fucking corporate trainer that was, like, making suicide jokes. And also talking about, um... I don't know. So, uh, it's not corporate because they're a family-owned oh, business. I'm so sorry. I have a guy in my store who says he answers to the guy who answers to the family. <laughs> the family! <laughs> you have 25 stores. You're a corporation. I just love that there's the family. The it family. makes it sound like a mafia thing. We know the store that they shop at. They shop at one of the stores. The Marketplace store. I don't know where that is, but that's where the family that owns the business shops. They shop at their own store. Which That's is fucking amazing. It's weird. Apparently, the I remember there being a big controversy because the CEO of Samsung has an iPhone, and an, I remember that being a big controversy. <laughs> the fifth generation of the family that owns this uh, business is employed at like stores as just cashiers or courtesy clerks. Or okay, if you're going to own a business, making your shitty teens like work as cashiers at your business before they're allowed to own the business. Uh-huh. Like, yes, I I can get down with that. It's not going to make them better people, but I I can sleep a little better at night knowing it that these shitty... It might make slightly better people. It might make them, like, 2% better capitalists. Yeah. But they're still capitalists and going up against the wall. Yeah. I said keep it flamio like, six minutes ago. But there was one more thing I wanted to talk about about this, which is that they say... They've been in business 165 years. This, I take issue with this. I'm with you, but I'm just going to let you There go was off. a general store in Crevecourt. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, that is. They bought that general store and eventually like tore it down and replaced it with grocery store. You don't get to claim the years before 1921 or whatever when you bought the general store from Crevecourt. Like, mm-hmm. that's not you, mm-hmm. even though you ran out of the same building yeah. and, like, and, like, did the same thing. It's a different, it's a different thing. You don't get There's to... There's a discontinuity there. Yes. In my opinion, the Jedi are evil. 